From the west coast of America on the front lines of American healthcare, I'm the Dashing Doctor with the Dashing MD podcast. We're streaming at feeds.feedburner.com backslash dashingmd. We're available on iTunes. Just search for Dashing MD. You can read the blog at dashingmd.blogspot.com. And then, of course, there's the email, dashingmd at yahoo.com. We love to hear from you. For those of you who are just joining us and they're just looking at the feed counter in the past few weeks, there are quite a few of you new to the podcast. Welcome. You're joining uh, what I think is a great community of people who are interested in medicine and surgery and how regular people go on to become these strange automatons called surgeons. And welcome to the podcast. You're joining a, a group that spans all of the populated continents and a group that grows in number every week. So uh, welcome. And for those of you coming back, happy to have you here again. Didn't hear from anybody over the past two or three weeks. The listenership's been quiet, so I have elected to create an episode of my own liking. Hopefully it will uh, be something that you find interesting as well. Uh, But we do love to hear uh, from you, we being me and the listenership out there. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast, things you'd like to hear about, things you want to talk about yourselves or hear my comments on. Dashingmd at yahoo.com is the email, and uh, we always look forward to hearing from you. I keep myself completely anonymous, and uh, I'm happy to keep you anonymous as well. Or I'm happy to broadcast your name and your blog address and everything from the rooftops, depending on how you want to play it. It's up to you. Uh, A couple notes on the blog, um, which if you haven't seen it recently, you might want to go take a look at it, dashingmd.blogspot.com. Made some aesthetic changes that I think are kind of cool, and then uh, I'm starting to add links on the blog to interesting sites um, or the sites of people who've uh, contributed to the podcast and to the blog. So if you go and you look there now, you'll find uh, links to Veritography. Uh, some of you may remember Jared writing in a while back. He writes a great blog about what it's like to be a medical student. And then there's a link to Dr. Anonymous, who does a great blog on uh, doctoring out in the Midwest and uh, on life in general. And then I've uh, also just recently added a link to Medline Plus, which is the uh, consumer portal for the National Institutes of Health. And it's an amazing site that has just a huge amount of very authoritative, uh, well-referenced, accurate medical information about individual diseases and medications. And then they've got cool features like uh, videos of uh, all sorts of different surgeries. Uh, I think it's really a great resource for doctors and non-doctors alike, and it's easily accessed via a click on the right side of the screen at dashingmd.blogspot.com. And if you have a blog of your own uh, and you want it included on my blog, I would be thrilled to put it up there. Just let me know, and I'll go and take a look at your site, and I'll plug you in the podcast. And You know, let's, let's let this community of people who are interested in what we're interested in grow and benefit from the contributions of everybody who's out there talking about the things we talk about. And today, I want to talk about episode 17. Episode 17, you grow accustomed to the smell. So, when I was growing up, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. And I was fairly certain most of the time that I wanted to be a surgeon. 
and I really I, I don't remember a time. I remember being three years old and knowing that surgery was what I was interested in and doing surgery on my sister's dolls and things, much to her consternation. And yet, whenever I sort of had the opportunity to be exposed to surgery, I always found it very unnerving. Um, I went to visit my uncle, who was an emergency room doctor, when I was probably 10 or 11. And um, he took me with him to to do a night shift at the hospital. And I remember just seeing, you know, what really, in retrospect, were very minor injuries, you know, like a broken arm and a, a pretty bad cut from a, 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 co- a broken coffee pot in someone's uh, arm. And, you know, on the one hand, just being fascinated by seeing sort of these deep lacerations or these really odd angulations of limbs sort of knowing that I was in the presence of real medicine um, and feeling sort of special and privileged by that, even then. Um, But also just sort of seeing these, you know, this like layer of fat underneath the skin that I, you know, heard about, kind of knew in principle about, but really had no idea about. And, And to see that sort of like tissue there, I remember being like at once very fascinated and feeling very, very faint. Um, And that continued into my college years. Uh, I came in and visited uh, my aunt and uncle, who were also both doctors, different uncle. Um, And they sort of arranged for me to sort of do a a week-long tour of different medical specialties as a college freshman, Um, just spending some time with them and going around with... uh, them and some of their colleagues to clinics and to the OR and sort of just really seeing like a broad swath of medicine, which was amazing and really uh, like, I think helped to firm up my sense of wanting to be a doctor and also notably is now, I think, illegal um, owing to health privacy rules and stuff that that sort of thing can't be done anymore, which is a tragedy because I think it, it really taught me a lot without, I think, impinging on patients at all. I mean, they were all, you know, willing to have me there. Um, now they're not even allowed to express a willingness that's just frankly illegal. Um, so without getting onto a long screed about how it's a complete waste of time to legislate morality, um, I remember in those times uh, going, going around with a, one friend of mine aunts who was a cardiologist and he had a patient who was in the intensive care unit at a local hospital and we went there and we're walking around the ICU and we went into the room of a patient in the ICU and uh, he had he was a pretty sick guy he he'd had his jaw removed for some sort of surgery and he had chest tubes on both sides and he had a Foley catheter coming out and there was some sort of rank odor the odor of head and neck cancer as I've come to recognize it this sort of smell of rotting saliva um, that sort of pervaded the room and I remember looking at him being like this is totally fascinating totally fascinating and I remember looking at him I remember thinking that 
And the next thing I remember is like a whole crowd of nurses looking down on me as I'm laying on the floor and a crash cart being wheeled into the room because um, they thought that I had died. Um, I, uh, I just went out cold. And it's amazing. There's this reaction that you can have where you just have a, what's called a vagal reaction where your uh, vagus nerve slows down your heart rate and your blood pressure drops and all your vessels dilate and you fall to the floor. And it's, you know, sort of a spontaneous, uncontrollable thing. Um, and a lot of people have it, I think, when they see the sight of blood. And and for me, like, I never even had an aversion to it. Like, I always thought that, that all the stuff that I was seeing was totally interesting and I was very engaged with it but still on some subconscious level something about the sight or the smell or whatever would set me off and I would feel very very faint on the drive to medical school I stopped to visit some friends in Ohio and uh, they took me to I went into surgery with a friend of theirs who was a hand surgeon and the same thing happened just felt incredibly faint had to sit down watching very a tiny and completely bloodless surgery on a wrist just doing a carpal tunnel release and it's weird i mean i think back to who i was then and and try to compare it to the things i've seen now and i can't imagine the stuff back then seeming so novel that it would elicit any sort of response i guess the reason i'm thinking about this is that Yesterday, I was uh, taking care of a patient of ours on the floor who I've been taking care of for a long time. She's been in the hospital for over 100 days. She's a 32-year-old woman who um, has just extraordinary vascular disease um, that we can't quite put our finger on, but the net result of it is that she has lost both of her legs to vascular events, occlusions of her arteries in her legs. Um, and more recently, the stump of her left leg died, and she had to have that revised, meaning they cut it up further, so that now basically her left leg ends just below her hip, and her right leg ends probably six inches above where her knee used to be. And she's been psychologically devastated by this obviously um and has sort of regressed into this infantile state where she just uh and she's she, she's very reasonable and totally with it most of the time but um but when time comes for like dressing changes and or any intervention she just sort of cries like a baby and and refuses to help and refuses to be involved and um and it's just clearly so justifiably distraught by all of this that um, every day, three times a day as we do her wound care, it's a, it's a giant battle. And partly because of that, the wound on her right leg, she has a what started as a, just a little skin irritation has now grown into this giant wound on the back of her right leg, which is the longer remaining stump. And that's become necrotic meaning that the tissue there has sort of died. Um, so we've recently really had to make a point of being very aggressive with the care of her wound on that backside. So the other day, yesterday I guess it was, um, we decided we needed to do a really 
aggressive debridement of this wound, which is probably almost a foot across. I mean, she's a very large woman, and, and the, the thigh is large, and this wound takes up basically the whole backside of her thigh. So I got some scissors, and I got some tweezers, and I and we got her leg lifted up, and I sort of like just got in there and started chopping out big sections of just nasty, rotting, disgusting, black and yellow goo from behind this woman's thigh. And the smell was just astonishing. And the sight of it was just revolting. And I would kind of cut away at this thing and chat with her and chat with my colleague who was there with me and talk to the nurse and think about what I was going to have for lunch. And, um, and just, it was another day at the office. And that's such an astonishing thing to walk away from. You know, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, I'm just going to go debride this wound. I've debrided many wounds before. I'll debride this one. And I walked away, and I thought, you know, if I had done this, if I had seen this, if I had come into the room and witnessed this 10 years ago, I would have been, A, potentially just scarred for life, and B, like, unconscious on the floor. And it was a real sense of having changed my perspective um, and in that sense, I think it felt like it was a, it felt like it was a good thing. It felt like I'd grown into medicine, that I had come to a place where I, I was able to be consciously aware of things without having a subconscious awareness of them, and that that helped me be a good doctor. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and I realized that I feel that way about so many things now that I've become numb to so much, you know, that as I was sort of not really being affected by the sight and smell of this wound, I was similarly not being affected by this woman's crying or her, uh, her fear or her abject desolation at having found herself at this place in her life. As I go to the breast clinic um, and and deal every day with these women with breast cancer who we plan to operate on, or as I see them in the, in the pre-anesthesia care unit as I prepare to do the surgeries that I've been doing recently for breast cancer, um, I don't feel anything other than a sort of clinical interest isn't even the word. I mean, clinical uh, responsibility for the, you know, a quick breast exam. I don't think about what these women are thinking about. I don't think about why they're, you know, the thoughts that are going through their head as like, Yet another person feels their breast and says, oh, yes, we're going to cut this off for your surgery. Like, that's simply what we'll have to do um, to get this cancer out. I mean, I, 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 I've grown so clinically removed. I've seen so much now that nothing shocks me and nothing surprises me. And, and, and do I feel like... I've lost some essential humanity in that. Yeah, I think maybe I have. 
and on the one hand, I feel like I can't, like that, 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 that there's no other way that it could be, that it couldn't work a better way than that. And on the other hand, you know, I think, you know, I, I can, I still know to say all the right things and to, and to be kind and to be respectful of these patients. But I don't think, you know, I, I know consciously what they're going through. I know consciously what people are experiencing and I can consciously imagine how they're feeling, but I can't, I've lost that subconscious animal sense of the craziness of what we see and do each day in medicine. And while I think that that is good in the sense that it helps me stay conscious, literally and figuratively, as I practice medicine, I also think that it really skews my ability to have true empathy for people who don't see this all the time. I think it's easy for us in medicine to say, you know, to think that people are overreacting or that they're, that they just don't understand the way that we understand what's going on or what's important because they haven't seen it enough and that we sort of fault patients for that. You know, we say, oh, yes, you're very upset about your new diagnosis of breast cancer, I'm sure, but you, this is, that's because you don't see that all day, every day. And if you did, you'd realize that, like, your cancer is not that bad compared to other people's cancers. And I don't think that's a fair expectation for us to have patients. And I think it's an unfortunate expectation for us to have to have of ourselves. Yeah, those are my thoughts. You grow accustomed to the smell. Well, what do you think? DashingMD at Yahoo.com. If you've got any thoughts, any suggestions, anything you want to contribute to this, please, you can post it to the blog, dashingmd.blogspot.com, and then everybody can read your comments and comment on your comments, and we can create a whole society of comments. Um, I can reply to your comments and be great. It'd be so much fun. We should definitely try it, don't you think? I definitely think. Um, otherwise, I'll, uh, you know, keep casting around for things that are of interest to me. I still want to do an episode on sort of the application process to residency and how all that works. We recently had the match, which is where people decide how they're, where they're going and, and programs decide who they want. And then a computer kind of matches them up together and everyone gets a little bit surprised. Um, so it's a good time, I think, to be talking about that. Um... There's the whole issue of costs in medicine that I think is fascinating. You know, the other day I realized that a lab test that I ordered for everyone that I think nothing of costs like $400 every time I do it. And I do it for every patient every day, and I rarely even pay attention to the results unless they're grossly odd, which you can always sort of predict. So why am I doing that? And what does that mean for society? Oh, I don't know. There's so many things to talk about. Um, and I look forward to talking about them with all of you soon. Until then, I'm the Dashing Doctor. Be well. <laughs>